For the first time ever, I am thrilled to say we have an official sponsor for the Dirk Talk podcast, and that's Ariat. I've worn Ariat boots on every job site I've visited over the years, traveling in them across five continents. More importantly, I have yet to find a single project where working folks, unlike me, are not wearing Ariat boots and workwear in every condition imaginable. And there's really good reason for that. And that's because it's phenomenal stuff. And the more I've learned about Ariat and the company, the more I've loved their brand. So with this, Ariat is offering any Dirt Talk listener 10% off their next Ariat order at ariat.com slash Dirt Talk. That's 10% off boots, jeans, and workwear at ariat.com slash Dirt Talk or at the link in this episode's description. With that, let's get to the show. I moved into my house. I saw that. Yeah. Big deal. Big time, dude. Mm -hmm. Why, you're getting a new roof? Yeah, getting a roof today. Oh, my God. So you move into the house. You need to put a roof on it. Well, so there was hail damage, and the sellers filed a claim, and State Farm said, yep, it's hail damage. We'll replace the whole thing. That's great. Yeah, so we get a roof for free. Wow. And it just because during our inspection, our home inspector saw people on the roof next door, and their house is, I mean, we are not, it's not tall skinnies, but it is two houses that was on previously one lot. And the house next to us is mostly a mirror image. And they had a bunch of hail damage. And it was kind of similar to what was on our roof. And so he said, hey, what, what are you all checking? He's like, well, there's a lot of hail damage over here. So we're, it was just an, an adjuster hmm. or whatever, I guess, coming to see. Oh, bummer. So he said, you should ask uh, your sellers if they'd be open to filing a claim. Hmm. And so they said, yeah, we want to make it right. The insurance company's like, shh. Well, so we thought they would only be part of it. And they said, eh, let's just go ahead and do the whole thing. Can you just a little, just a little bit more? He's, he's louder. Um, so I didn't, growing up, I didn't know hail damage was a thing in Arizona. Sure. Grow up in the desert, you don't realize a lot of things are a thing. Yeah. Snow. It's, yeah, snow for one, <laughs> rain, hail, any kind of weather event, not really a thing. Yeah. Binary weather system. It's either really nice or hot. What do they call like the big dust? Typhoon? A haboob. Haboob. A haboob, yes. Okay. But I go up to Montana. I think I'm 14, 15 years old at the time. They get this massive hailstorm. And it is a hailstorm that's a little frightening. Sure. You start to think, oh, well, those get is, loud and dangerous. This is loud. This is dangerous. Those are, those are huge. Mm -hmm. What is going on here? And the house, the cabin, is a, a metal roof. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so the roof gets all banged up. Anything all, punched through? No, but it was all dented. Oh, yeah. Hail damage. So they have the insurance company come out and they, they quote them, whatever it is. And I remember my friend's dad, he's just straight up businessman. He gets the check and he just puts it in the bank account. He's like, ah, we don't need a new roof. We'll just live with it. Yeah, we'll probably just we'll probably just live with it. Or it might have been, maybe he did replace the roof. It might have been the pickup truck. He just didn't care. It was either the pickup truck or the roof. It's like this that, is fine. This doesn't really bother me. It's a big difference. Yeah. But yeah, it's like that's what it's there for. Who cares? So he just takes the money, puts it in the bank account. Screw the repairing the hail damage. I don't care. 
And uh, then we just had, I think it is the pickup truck. We just had an indefinitely hail damaged pickup truck. Well, with farms especially, like, you know, so many of those, like, farm trucks, like, are not registered cars. Like, no. they they wouldn't pass, like, an emissions test or any of well, that yeah, stuff. They're a tool. Yeah. They're a tool. It's they're just nothing getting around. more. It's they're basically just, like, a more. very strong golf cart. You yeah, know? Well, I mean, that's what a lot of yeah, what it but, is. But haul stuff, pull stuff, that was... Just getting around on the property itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Carrying hay and branches and tools and... Goats, whatever you want to put in the back. Yeah, just whatever you want to put in the back, yeah. really. Yeah, dogs. It's when we were up in Montana, you see dogs in the back of oh, yeah. trucks all the That's time. It's a big thing. That's not really allowed in a city, is it? Yeah, you don't see it much. I mean, they're just like faster driving and No, but I don't think it's I don't think it's even allowed. Probably not. Yeah. But we go to Montana, it's just, I tell Chase, like, well, that dog is almost out of that pickup truck. I'm like, yeah, yeah Montana. It's just Montana, bro. They're fine. Different place. That truck, that that dog grew up riding in the back of a truck. Yeah, yeah, but also you don't see people in the back of trucks here either, ever. No, which is a damn shame because riding in the back of a pickup truck really is one of the most American things you can do. I feel like I uh, have like an annual like guys lake trip and kind of where we stay and where like the boat is docked um, is maybe like mile and a half and so we pile into the back of like a 2000 toyota tacoma with like six dudes and like that's my annual ride in the back of a truck experience and it brings me a lot of joy yeah and i I understand if you get in a a bad car accident everybody will die sure in the back but you have to use it in the right circumstances in the right circumstances we're not like driving you know down the highway you know like in the snow driving the next state yeah, I do it's, also it's just like, like driving standing. down a hill. I forget where it was. I think I was with Dane Cotton. I was in the back of his pickup truck because it was like getting the cab of the pickup truck or getting the back of the pickup. Of course, I'm getting in the back of the pickup truck. Yep. Screw getting in the cab. And I'm standing in the back because we were just going to the shop. Yeah. So we weren't even driving you're just on the road. Ro- you're just rolling. Yeah, just on a dirt road. And I'm standing like Rommel. Right. And I, I'm like, <laughs> I like this. I like this a lot. I feel in charge, uh-huh. even though I had like, nothing go. to do with our direction. <laughs> Anyway, that's super fun. Mm-hmm. Well, this is a uh, Dirt Talk Monday edition episode. Great. We got plenty to talk about today. Do we? Oh, we do. So for those who've been following along, Aaron uh, just got back from Canada. Yes. Country north of the United States. Yep. How long were you there? Uh, five days. Sunday through Saturday. Six cool. days. I was telling you earlier, according to just the internet and your posting schedule, it felt like you were there for longer, but also I can recognize that maybe you felt like you were there for longer than five days too. It feels really long, but it also feels really short. When we go somewhere, I try to collapse as much into those days as we possibly can. So I don't play it safe. I don't, oh, let's not wear ourselves out or whatever. If I'm there, I'm there. We're full send. We went full send the whole time, yeah. and it was a ton of fun. We did northern Alberta, we did Calgary, and then we did a little bit of BC. How much driving did y'all do there? Like, I mean, obviously driving to a thing, but like for city to city, any like long ter- like distance driving? Yeah, turns out Calgary's or uh, Canada's really big. Yeah, you got to drive to places; they're yeah. not next door to each other. We drove from Calgary into BC to Cranbrook, which was a total of probably four hours. And then we did four and a half from Cranbrook back to Calgary, but we went through the national park. 
beautiful. in the early morning, went through Banff. Yeah. First time I've been there. Wildly beautiful. Yeah, not an ugly place. I get it. <laughs> I get it. I, I grew up going to this little place called Telluride, which is amazing. It's this little mountain town and sandwiched in between these two mountain ranges in mm-hmm. this little valley. And the mountains are big and you're looking up, you're like, wow, that's so crazy. But then you go somewhere like Banff, you go to the Canadian Rockies and it's a different vibe. It's even crazier. Yeah. It's so wild. So what's, well, you know, in addition to seeing the oil sands, you also got to see some beautiful mountain views while you're driving. There are worse things to do for a week. I enjoyed the oil sands more than I did I the Canadian did. Rockies. I fully understand. I that. have always, always wanted to go to the oil sands. And there we were at the bottom of the biggest mine there. I can't talk about whose it was publicly. Maybe one day. But it was cool. But it was so cool. Why is there, sec- not secrecy, but why is there a lack of transparency on um, like who's mining what? If you, if you uh, know anything about the oil sands, you'll know that it's been quite controversial from an environmental standpoint. Because instead of, and I explain this in an upcoming newsletter, but instead of drilling, typically your oil is many thousands of feet down. You're going a mile plus down. And then you're fracking the shale, typically nowadays. You're pumping the oil out. So the surface, on the surface, all you have is really just a pad. That's not all that large. Roads, pipeline infrastructure, that kind of thing. But there's not a lot of... It depends where you're at, but there's not a lot of stuff on the surface. Yeah. Oil sands is what happened was when the ocean was up there many, many, many millions of years ago, all these sea creatures and everything died and they collected on the bottom and then sand covered the sea creatures. The sea creatures turned to oil. The sea went away Mm -hmm. and you get a forest on top of oily sand. And they found this out because back in the day, the oil would ooze out of the ground, literally ooze out of the ground, into the water and whatever it is. And the indigenous population used it for all sorts of different applications, and it was very easy to find. And technology accelerates, and the demand for oil globally accelerates, so then it becomes a viable source of oil. And in the early 2000s, the oil companies really ramp up development. Mm -hmm. The thing is, oil was high, development went crazy, some corners were cut, some corners were cut, Sure, and they didn't quite have all of the technology they needed to do it really effectively. Now, I went up there expecting it would be a little bit of a mess. It was really, really buttoned up. Yeah. Really buttoned up. And all of the previously mined land, all the reclaimed land is gorgeous, Mm -hmm. and they have a a bison reserve in one place, and- they have signs like this was mined in this state and was reclaimed in this state. And you couldn't, you'd know, you'd have no idea. But environmental groups in the early days took lots of pictures and videos and used that as ammunition to try to get the oil sands operations shut down. They didn't succeed, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even, even though it's reclaimed and is really quite gorgeous when they're done with it, the land, it's still a fossil fuel. It's still heavy Canadian crude. And they act like people don't use oil nowadays. And it's like, well, I mean, how, like, what's your clothing made of? How do you get your food? How do you how do you go anywhere? Oh, sure. You have a Tesla. How'd that Tesla get to you? Did it get to you on a battery power truck? No, no, no. Huh. That's a diesel truck. 
How'd they mine all that stuff? Diesel. How'd they power the factory? Like, mm-hmm. what's what's the interior made of? It, it, it's crazy to think that that we don't need oil as as a society today. Maybe one day in the future we won't need it. Perhaps, but today we definitely need it. And fossil fuel is actually critical to transitioning to a more sustainable energy future. Anyway, it, it, it's so insane. Um, And I think the other kind of tricky part there is like, even if as you know, I think at some point we, of course, will transition to maybe more sustainable sources of energy or however that works. But to build any of that infrastructure is going to take a lot of oil to do it. That's it. That's just just part of it. So that's why it's part of that process. Well, you eliminate oil from cars, for example. Well, you still have aircraft. You still have shipping. You still have railroads. You still have all of the products oil goes into. It's. It's 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 always going to be right. Mm-hmm. Um, so the oil companies up there have been very sensitive to photo and video, very sensitive to photo yeah. and video because it's been used against them for so many years, and it has been such a pain in their ass that they've basically just eliminated entirely all photo and nothing. You can't say yep. anything about what we do here, which. <laughs> Has, has ironically only had more of a negative effect because now they've given full control of the narrative to the people that don't like them and they've run wild with the narrative. So it was cool to go up there, one, to see in reality what the oil sense actually looks like mm-hmm. because reality is oftentimes way different than the story you see online, yeah. as I've learned. And two, it was really cool to see how proud the people are that work up there because it's hard work. It's in a remote place. They're doing really important work. They're providing oil for society. This heavy Canadian crude is a big deal. And all of it goes to the United States, by the way, where most of it goes to the United States. Yeah. We're the biggest beneficiaries of it. They work really hard and no one gives them any credit. They're just demonized for, for what they do, their work. And that's not fair. And their perspective isn't represented at all. No. Mm-hmm. And so we were there to actually paint these people in a positive light. And you could tell that they were so happy and almost relieved. Like, finally, finally, we have someone saying something good about us because all we all we're used to is us. Everybody just, you know, how could you do that? Discount, yeah. Discounting what we do for society. Yeah. So what, with like the oil sands and projects like that, are, are there generally camps? Or like, is there towns people live in and go out to that? Like, is it that remote? Both. Okay. Well, there used to be nothing up there. Now it's actually quite developed. Okay. I was actually, I was surprised how developed Fort McMurray is. It's a nice place and the airport's brand new and beautiful mm-hmm. and lots of, lots of infrastructure. So you either live in a house or apartment in town, or there are the, the, the man camps within the mining operations sure. themselves. Yeah. What would you say was the biggest like surprise or like I did not expect this when you went up there? How environmentally conscious they are. <laughs> that really jumped out. It, it, I was I went into it. I've seen all the pictures. Yeah. I've seen the videos. I've heard what Leonardo DiCaprio has to say, even though he uses plenty of oil. But that's beside the point. You usually need oil for like the really nice yacht he has supermodels on. You just typically have to have oil for that. Yeah. But. And and I let that affect my perception of it before mm-hmm. I went up there. So I did have this narrative in my head. I go up there, 
and it's just, it's not like it's not like that. Mm-hmm. It's really not. I mean, yeah, the mining operation looks like a mining operation. Yeah, you are opening up the earth. <laughs> There's only one way to do that: it's move a lot of dirt, and it's black, and it doesn't look beautiful. There's not you know birds chirping and and, and woods within the mine. It's a mining operation. Mm-hmm. But when they're done with it, it's it's gorgeous. It's fantastic. So does it take longer? to reclaim a mine site than it did to like mine it in the first place? Well, it takes decades to fully reclaim it. Well, because all the the tree growth and things like that, I guess. That's exactly it, yeah. So you have to plant everything and then you just turn it back over to nature and it takes nature a while to to get it back to where it Uh should be, but it's gorgeous. It's, it's, seriously, it's, it's, they restore it back to whatever was there before they came across it. And if not healthier. And if not healthier. Yeah. Um, You're and, talking and, like what, Red Red Hills? Yeah, Red Hills, yeah. Mine, Mississippi. And, and I'm not here to, to say, like I talked about on the podcast with Riley, mm-hmm. I think. I am all for alternative energy and being more environmentally conscious. All for it. All for it. But I'm also not dumb enough to sit here and say, we can just eliminate fossil fuel tomorrow. Doesn't work that way doesn't work that way and something as valuable as oil with as many uses as oil has within our society it's not going away it's really not so um you can be on both sides of the fence and i just wish the mining companies would tell their story Mm -hmm. and actually take control of that narrative because they're getting trampled they've been getting trampled and it's not getting any better and until they actually take hold of that and take responsibility for telling that story they're going to have this perception problem. Mining is going to get run out of North America, which is a huge, huge concern of mm-hmm. mine. Sure. And it should be of anybody's because then we're still consuming natural resources at an accelerating rate. And we're depending on other countries to get our natural resources for us, mm-hmm. which is a huge national security risk. Um, and they're going to have a workforce problem. <laughs> Everybody needs people up there. Bad, really bad, and oil is only ramping up right now. It's going to be high for a long time with the trends that we're seeing. Mm-hmm. They need people desperately, but if you're not talking about what goes on up there, or people don't want to go work in a career that's seen so negatively within society, or whatever it is. Well, yeah, it doesn't matter if the. I mean, maybe it matters a little bit, but it it can't be easy to do sustainably for like a long time if you're just going to be demonized the whole time you do it. Even right. if you know that's not the truth, here's what the real truth is, it doesn't matter if like, that's how you're going to be viewed anyway. Yeah. Yeah, it's just frustrating. There's no there's no gray area. There's yeah. no in-between. Mm-hmm. You're either 100% for oil, 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 or no, everything needs to be run by fairies. There's just no in-between. It's yeah. like, well, I don't know. I think there is an in-between. And funny enough, a lot of the opposition to the oil sands is funded. The environmental groups are oftentimes funded by other oil companies and nations. Really? Mm-hmm. Most of the opposition to the fossil fuel industry is financed by the fossil fuel industry. How's that for a so brain, you're saying brain blast? Follow the money. All about money, man. It's all about money. It's all about money. Speaking of money, that's not speaking of money at all. Uh, so you were, you were in Canada, like we said. I have a couple topics to bring up to you to have you talk about. And I, was, I specifically did not get context about these things because I want to hear it straight from the horse's mouth. First thing, 
supposed to act, ask you about a frog copter. Frog copter, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we were told the story about they were working at this at, at, at this location. I'm going to keep it as vague as possible. Sure. You know, I, I don't know what I am and I'm, aren't supposed to talk about. But they were working at this location and they were there for weeks and weeks and weeks. Over the course of these weeks, these helicopters kept flying over all day long, every day, flying over, flying over, flying over. And they were carrying these baskets. And they're like the baskets that you see helicopters carry when they're fighting fires. So they'll go lower them into the pond, mm-hmm. fill them with water, carry it to the fire, and then, you know, uh, drop the water and go back and get more. So that's what they're doing, just laps, laps with the basket. But instead of just water, they were transporting frogs. Interesting. So it was frog transport in a helicopter. <laughs> and it was one of the mining companies uh-huh. relocating frogs. Interesting. From one part of the mine to a reclaimed part of the mine. <laughs> hey, via, you got to take via, care of the population. Yeah, helicopter. So that's the frog copter. How do you load that many frogs into a basket like that? I would have loved to be there. Loved like, to what be there are you to doing to get that? Yeah, how do you catch that many frogs? What are you doing? Or is it one frog per helicopter? I don't, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> An executive frog. It's like a big, yeah. big basket yeah. with one single frog. It's yeah. how we got to do it. It's the same yeah, way. We, we, we cannot mix the frogs. Oh, my gosh. So is that something that would be frowned upon if people knew what exactly job site that is? Or is that more like, no, they're taking care of the population? They're doing what they need to do. I mean, a lot of it, a lot of it now is is government regulated. Hey, you need to be more, you need to keep capitalism sometimes in check sure. because it, it could, it can run rampant. Oh yeah. It can be, uh, conscious capitalism is good, but, but capitalism itself is good, but it can be twisted into, into bad ways. Um, so you do have to keep it in check. There are these environmental regulations they need to adhere by, but it's also there is an inherent desire to do this as well. Like you talked again to to North American coal, for example. Mm-hmm. These people are so stoked about the environment. They have all this biological background. They're they're remarkable people, very knowledgeable about the environment, and they're among the best stewards of the environment because they feed their family thanks to it. Yeah. Well, yeah, it behooves them to do that. Mm-hmm. Right on. That's frog copters, everybody. My next question. Frog copter. I meant to ask you about Canadian candy. Apparently, you have a take. Canadian candy. What I said. I, who'd you get that from? Mr. Chase Lyons. Let me let me double check. But I'm pretty sure he said Canadian candy. He said, "Oh, you got to ask Aaron about this." Uh, he had the we'll Canadian candy. Hold on, hold on. He said, "Ask him about Canadian candy." Okay, we'll push it. Um, okay, so what? I don't, I don't eat candy. It's not an Aaron thing. I don't. I'm not a candy guy. Yeah. I haven't drank in a few weeks too. Taking a little bit of break. Sure, just drying out a little bit. You know, you didn't you didn't have yourself a single Labatt Blue. No. Okay. Uh, so where all did you go in Canada? Uh, Fort McMurray. Yeah, that's um, what you talked about. Fort Mackay, uh, north of Fort McMurray. Then we went down to Calgary. We saw Morgan Construction mm-hmm. up in Fort McMurray. Um, NCSG Transport, I think, is the company, which was. Awesome. Seeing 6015 getting pulled on a trailer yeah. was wild. Finning Caterpillar had us up there, which was uh, just beyond a treat. And that was something I was not expecting. The biggest Caterpillar deal in the world. In the world. Yeah. Four continents, which Oof. is wild. Um, then we went down to Calgary. We saw Wilco Southwest, 
which was spectacular right on the river mm-hmm. in downtown Calgary. They do some very unique work. Then BlueCon, I saw triple ditch pipe uh, pipe laying, which I've never seen before in the United States. We just do it one at a time there in Canada. They're like, why don't we put two sewer lines and a water line in all at the same time, which was spectacular. Then Komatsu Mining, we saw the new... 475-8 Superdozer, the second one mm. in the world, apparently. Second one in North America, maybe wow. something second. Then over to McKay Contracting in Cranbrook, British Columbia, to see a new mine development they're working on and a reclamation project we got kicked off of. You, you know, you what? would think you would think they would want us to show reclamation. Of all of the things to photograph and take videos of. You'd think that would be it, but oh, no. You don't want people to see that we're done. Oh, no. That we're, yeah, that we're done, that we're restoring the environment. Like, God forbid Mm -hmm. we show this very top secret pushing around of dirt. Yeah. How long, or when did mining of the oil sands start? Like, is that relatively recent? Like, last 50 years, or? I don't know. I just know it, it, it really ramped up in the past. 20 years okay and then it really hurt for a while when oil was down sure because it is expensive cost per barrel it's some of the most expensive oil to produce in the world but then now that oil is where it's at it is full steam ahead yeah as much as you can do as yeah (laughs) they want i mean they're buying whatever trucks they can get whatever equipment they can get we were at finning they were building 10 797s all at once because they need more. Yeah, eight million each, not including tires and rims. Tires, there are six tires per truck, seventy-eight thousand dollars each. Seventy-eight grand a piece times six. Oh, and so all the people on my YouTube video about expensive tires, oh Bugatti's like thirty, forty grand or whatever it is. Well, seven ninety-seven tire is seventy-eight grand. So it's more expensive than your stupid Bugatti tire. There you go. Check. When a dealer gets uh, new trucks like that, what's like the build time on those things? Like to get from just like the parts get delivered from the manufacturer. I feel like they feel like it was about a month, maybe 40 days. Okay. Yeah. So about a month and they were working on them all simultaneously. They had so many trucks to build. They brought in Mater, a big maintenance firm out of Australia to help build the trucks because Binning is so busy rebuilding trucks from sure. from the frame up. It's like we need somebody to do this brand new mm-hmm. while we focus on what we've been doing. Yeah. Woof. Yeah. Well, it just tells you the demand certainly is there. So everything shows up on truck from Illinois in pieces. And then, yeah, it's a whole process just to build the damn thing, which is crazy. Uh-huh. Is the main manufacturing in Illinois or is it? Okay. Yeah, Illinois. But that's not where you got your skid steer. No, the skid steer factory is in North Carolina. That's what I was going to say. Okay. But Caterpillar makes their haul trucks in Illinois, and so does, funny enough, Komatsu. Oh. Huh. Yeah. You fly into, I love this. I love this. You fly into Peoria. You're driving into Peoria. Big old billboard right across the street from Caterpillar. And Caterpillar, that is the home base of yeah. of, of Caterpillar is Peoria, Illinois. That's Largely the, the thing Peoria has going for it. And it says Peoria's Komatsu country with a big Komatsu truck on this billboard right across the street. And I'm like, oh, it's hilarious. Going at him. It's so funny. 
Yeah. And you fly into Peoria and there's Komatsu truck advertising and you're like, what? A, wh- huh? This is Peoria. This is Caterpillar. Mm-hmm. That's funny. And there's Komatsu. Yeah, we bought there. P&H. Would we be allowed? Maybe this is off record. Would we be allowed to have other uh, like people if not from Caterpillar? On our, like we'd have Komatsu people on our podcast? I don't Yeah, okay. we, can have, we can have anybody on. Cool. We're a free agent, man. I said no with uh, like investment things. And this can be cut out, heads up. No. But there's no reason to cut it out. Okay. We're a free agent. Cool. Sure. Yeah. Do we have Caterpillar dealers, plural, invest in our business now? Yeah. But I've also talked to Komatsu dealers. We've, we've talked to multiple Komatsu dealers yeah. about investment as well. I'll cool. talk to anybody about investment. I, I think I was curious. How many, we can talk about but that. that's why, that's that's why the Caterpillar dealers invest in our business is because- we are a neutral party. We're a, a we're the middle ground to the industry. They're Caterpillar. They come at it from one approach, which works out very well for them. But for a sake of workforce development, uniting the industry, Caterpillar can't do it because Caterpillar's Caterpillar. You'll always have those other people that say, well, oh, I hate Cat or whatever it is. Or yeah. Everybody runs a mixed fleet. So to say you're with one OEM is just dumb. It's it's not like It's not like a pickup truck where you just drive one pickup truck at a time. Most construction companies have all different manufacturers at all times. That's the nature of the industry, especially right now with how tough it is to get equipment. Everybody's just buying whatever the hell they can get their hands on. Yeah. Stuff they never even thought about buying a year ago. Um, and, and so, yeah, that's why the Caterpillar dealers have invested in our business because it gives them the ability to reach more of the industry in a genuine way for the sake of workforce development, mm-hmm. which then if they develop the workforce, if they help their customers solve their workforce problem, their businesses are better off. It's smart business. It's still a business play. It's still an investment, but it is for the greater good of the industry at the same time. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yes. Anyway, so Canada, big thing. Super exciting. When are you going back? January. Yeah. Hear that, Canada? It's coming back. Winter. That is and I'm not joking. different than... <laughs> We're being serious. <laughs> that is different than August. That'll be... It'll be the coldest weather i've ever been in uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. for sure but i can't wait to hear about it. i think seeing seeing the work like in the oil sands when like the ground's frozen i mean that's gonna be pretty cool yeah yeah that's the interesting thing is the winter months are the fast that are the the fastest paced in the oil sands it's crazy because everything freezes so they can run trucks full capacity full speed just like regular full ground full bore yeah because where we were so they Finning part of the work they were doing was they were cutting the factory bumpers off of the 797s, the brand new machines. They were mm-hmm. cutting the bumpers off and they were welding their specialty bumpers that they fabricate themselves onto these trucks because the ruts get so big that the bumper is probably at my eye level. So it's it's like five, six feet off the ground. Yeah, These trucks have some serious clearance, but the, ru- the, tro- the roads get so soft and bad. The ruts get so high. That there'll be there'll be dirt on the bumper. The bumper is running still into dragging. the material, oh my still gosh. dragging at five to six. I mean, probably six feet. Mm-hmm. You're that here, uh, folks. Aaron is six feet tall. You're, uh, you're on dirt. I am five six. Okay, yeah, I'm significantly less than. Help yeah, man. Six foot. But on online dating apps, I am six. Foot. You are I'm, yeah. On the internet, I'm listed at six foot. That's the only way saying. I can get a shot. <laughs> uh, all right, we got a couple questions. This one's from NC Dirt Guy. What are some good examples of how you've seen companies provide a work-life balance for their employees, especially the non-exempt or hourly employees? 
I often hear guys complain about the drive time and lack of work-life balance and was wondering what are some good approaches to remedying this issue. That's the million dollar question right now. I it's think like how? Uh, yeah. How? Um, I think companies that have done it successfully, they've deliberately not expanded in a, in a, in a region. And if they do, they stay local. But I know Hoopa, for example, they stay within the Charlotte market. They want everybody to go home every night. So they have deliberately not bid work out of town mm-hmm. to keep their people at home with their kids, their family every night. Uh, a good example, and this is a smaller company, but I just saw that new era excavation. I always mix it up. I always want to say next era, but that they were next era. They switched to new era. Okay. Tom Gardaki. Oh, yeah. Uh, the Dirt Ninja and Craig Hamill and that blasted Pat Allen. Oh, Pat Allen. They just, Tom and Craig just gave the whole company a week off. So this week, I believe, they're not working. Wow. But it's all paid. So they said, we're going to take a week off in the summer so you can go out and spend some time with your family. Like, paid. Everybody's been busting it. Like, People need this. Which I think is super cool. Yeah. And is a is an example for everybody to follow. So I I I wish I had um I wish I had more to say on this. And it's something I need to think through a little bit more. But that's the question is I think we do need to be better from a work life balance standpoint, mm-hmm. or else we're just gonna continue to hemorrhage people. And we I- don't need to be that much more flexible, but just a little bit more flexibility. Just a little bit. I do think some of this like does fall to the employee too, certainly. Like how do you balance that? How do you find ways to do that? But I'm sorry. But if there's just like no flexibility in your job itself, like you only have so much power to, you know, find that balance. There's there's often a transition. I've seen people's careers, they go to work for a big national, international contractor that just works them like just works them nearly to death. But they enjoy it. They're young. They don't have a family. They can work 80, 90, 100 hours a week, whatever. Yeah. You're making a killing at that point. Like, why not? You're away from home. You're working in a remote place, whatever it may be. And then they get married and then they have children. And that lifestyle is no longer sustainable. So then they transition to a local contractor mm-hmm. and work closer to home, even though they're not making nearly as much money or doing as exciting work. They're home with their family every night. So there you go. Ends up being more worth it to do that. Mm -hmm. So it is just kind of the life cycle of somebody's life, of their career. When you get a family, I've seen that transition happen a lot where guys, people that were working for those bigger contractors on crazier work will dial it back and they'll go to work for a local contractor instead. Where the uh, the life part of the work life balance requires more attention and more time and more intentionality, you you have to reclaim that somehow. Yeah, or companies that'll just say, "Hey, we we don't work weekends." I mean, maybe once in a while we have to pick up a Saturday, but just drawing a line in the sand, saying, "It's like this is just how we have to run our business." We don't work right. weekends. Yep. Yeah, and if you put that constraint on things, you'll you'll be amazed that everything that needs to happen that week anyway gets done. If you give yourself five days rather than six, more often than not, it's going to happen. Again, that doesn't work for every project, but I think that constraint can be applied to a lot of projects that it's not right now. Well, and it is interesting companies that would say we just don't work weekends. You almost would set different work boundaries during the week 
knowing that you're not working on the weekends. You know what I mean? It's like, well, are there ways for me to ramp up my efficiency so that it happens in the five days? I don't know. I, I feel like there could be a lot of benefit other than the fact that like you get two days off on the weekend. Obviously, that's great. Yeah. But it's like I feel like I might even work differently if I had different constraints during the week. Right. I don't know. Yeah. Interesting. We get a lot of questions like that. Um, and so I, I don't want to belabor the point, but I do think it's kind of interesting to check in on that like twice a year. Um, just because like a lot of people, it it's obviously very important to a lot of people and there's not a clear answer. Yeah. If I were, if I were a construction company, I'd be thinking through that long and hard right now. Seriously. I would really be thinking through that. How do we make this more sustainable for our people? Um, and that whole tough guy mentality, oh, just work 100 hours a week or whatever it is and be an alcoholic and get divorced three times over. It, it's just- Yeah, it sounds so awesome. <laughs> it's, it's, it's going away. Yeah. It's going away. I don't want that. Mm-mm. I don't think a lot of people I'm around want that. It's, it's a total disregard for people's life outside of the industry. Uh, people aren't just tools. They aren't just units of measure. They aren't just man hours. Mm-hmm. They're human beings. They have families. They have children just like anybody else. Important piece to remember. Cool. Well, thank you. And thank you, NC Dirt Guy. Probably North Carolina, maybe. We'll see. Uh, thank you for the question. Last question is from David. Why is it that the people slash companies responsible for performing the actual work on construction projects always end up as financiers? I'm expected to wait 30 to 120 days for payment on most of the projects I take on. But the last time I went to a store or hired someone to do a repair, I was expected to pay upon completion. I understand that there are several parties involved in any construction process. Just I often scratch my head wondering how we got here as an industry in the first place. I think we just let it happen and there it is. I mean, and just now it's just how it is and can't really fight back because that's yeah. just how people do it. Pretty much. I mean, there's probably good reasons for it, but I feel like it, it's a good example of we've just let contracts get away from us. Because everything's so competitive, and I think owners and GCs and others that we're working for as a as a heavy civil infrastructure construction industry, I I, I think they've taken advantage of of the power they have. They've taken advantage of the competitive nature of the mm-hmm. industry, and we're so concerned about getting the work, we don't really push necessarily like we should on contracts and on payment terms and and all of that. And here we are. So, like, if if you put it into your contract or in your bid, I should say, uh, you know, cash due upon completion, they, or just payment due upon comp- completion, they'd just be like, mm, I could just go to this other person who is more flexible on that. Yeah, that's that's a non-starter. Right? Yeah. there's no there's no way. Like, why would I, I do that if there are I have some an good to not do that? But there are some good contractors out there that pay timely. I know a lot of companies. They we put a pay app in upon completion. See, it's not that you're not getting paid upon completion. It's you submit the pay app upon completion. But what happens is it gets tied up 30, 60, 90 plus days before you get paid for that work or those materials or that equipment you mobbed or whatever it is. So there's games you can play like in your mob, for example. Yeah, we've talked about that. You're, you're going to front load some of your costs up, up front in the mobilization that aren't necessarily there, kind of are there. So you can get that money. And to fund off, the actual work, offset a little bit of that, but yeah. that's just the reality of the business. Is yeah, there is that financial risk that you need to take on, but here we are. 
And is, is that sort of like payment terms, is that why it might be difficult for someone to start uh, like their own business if they needed to hire a new person because like they have to already have the cash to continue paying that person even if they're not getting paid on the job yet? Because I feel like that's like the small version of that, right? Yeah, getting paid on time, I could, people could argue with me about this, but it's a little less of a problem when you're smaller. Because you can be more selective with your customers and it's more so you're working yeah. with the actual customer. You're not working with the federal government. Yeah. Or They're like, we'll pay you eventually. Yeah. National, <laughs> multinational contractor, yeah. G- general contractor, whatever it is. It just, it depends. It's so variable. But yeah, that's the reality is people think these construction companies are just getting loaded and it's not that way. They're carrying the cost of those projects. Like I remember I was on this road project. And you start the construction project, you bring your equipment, your people, your materials out there, you go to work, traffic control, saw cutting, demolition, underground utilities. So month one, you submit your pay app. Here's what we did this month. Here's what you owe us per the quantities. Check. Month two, pay app. Month three, pay app. Month four, pay app. So there's four months of work that you just did, Mm -hmm. still didn't get paid. Still didn't get paid. Yeah. The, but the the thing is, you are working for the government. The government will pay you at some point. So the money's going to come, but you're still floating that project. You're still having to go buy all that diesel fuel, all the equipment, depreciation, the the payroll, the materials, all of that money is still going out that entire time. Mm-hmm. And that's what you have to float as a contractor, which sucks. Yeah. Which really sucks. And the more projects you have, the more you're doing that. Yes. Oof. And sometimes that's not even getting into retainage. They keep 10%. You know, if your margin's 6%, they keep 10%. You're underwater until you get the retainage back and they have the right to potentially keep the retainage. Yeah, that's crazy. Ugh. It'll kill you. And it does kill a lot of contractors. Uh-huh. So it is, a, it is a game of financing, but that's just kind of how the game's played. Mm-hmm. Like the rules are the rules at this point. I would love to see it be more collaborative. I think the government needs to be more collaborative with contractors. I think general contractors need to be more collaborative with their subs. Everybody would win as a result. Yep. And I think that's going to have to happen because of the trends in people and where the industry's going. But I don't see it happening anytime soon. Oof. So instead of complaining about it, it's just you got to play the game. It's just the game. Like it, it almost doesn't matter to dissect why it doesn't make sense now. It's just like that's what it is. And yeah. You can't do it otherwise. Mm-hmm. Oof. Well, thanks for uh, speaking on that a little bit. David, thanks for reaching out about it. We uh, are clearly, it's, I would say, understand the frustration and it sounds just like that's just kind of the way it is unfairly well it's not unfair well yeah maybe to the person who would rather just get paid normally so they can not have to float these projects maybe that's the feeling of unfairness yeah but if you run around bitching about how unfair things are you're not going to make it very far yeah not much happens all of all the business owners i know that have kicked ass in this industry they're not running around oh it's so unfair that we have to float this project whatever it is they're just like it's reality the reality it sucks but we're going to play the hell out of this game and we're going to fucking win this game. Mm-hmm. That's their mentality. So, hey, and maybe one day you can get into a position where you are big and you do have the leverage necessary to change things. That's fantastic. I hope that happens sooner rather than later. But until then, you just play the game. Well said. And that's hey. where banking relationships come into play. <laughs> <laughs>
That's why everybody, every contractor needs a good bank. Yeah, try to spend someone else's money to do that. Well, you're getting the money. It's just you need to float it, which is where credit lines and and financing equipment and there's a lot of tricks you can use to to float that. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. Cool. I mean, oftentimes big comp big uh projects they'll joint venture with a few companies. One of the companies will probably be more of a financing arm like than from really the, a contract get go. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so you'll have these massive multi-billion dollar projects. You'll have two you know, three contractors, TriVenture. Two of the contractors are doing the work. The third is kind of providing the management and financing. So you could really start a contractor that really only does like the more admin side of that. Well, you have to be at the really multi-billion dollar scale. Sure. You have to have the money to start. <laughs> yeah. So you can't you be like, a, you know what I want to be? Yeah. I want to be a contractor who only does admin and money. Yeah. If you I got to have a billion few, dollars. A few billion or, uh, I mean, you might, you might have that. So go for it. You're here, folks. Just go for it. And I'm not a contractor. So again, I'm, these are my observations yeah. from an outside perspective based on conversations I've had with contractors. I am probably wildly incorrect. I need to make that disclaimer on every podcast. Yeah. Bing, 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 bing. Disclaimer. Uh, well, David, thanks for the question. Aaron, thanks for digging in on that. I think we are, we are at 46 minutes. Look at that. Great. Just cruising on through. Dirt Talk episodes. Dirt Talk. Woo-woo. Everybody, thanks for listening. Mm-hmm. If you have questions, send them to dirttalkabilla.com or anything you want to hear from us about YouTube, full bore, yep. multiple videos every single day of the week. If you want to learn more about training, billa.com. If you're wondering, what the hell do those guys do? Billa.com. There you go. It's all there. It's your sales pitch. Yep. I am salesman. <laughs> so we'll see you on the next one. Stay dirty, everybody. Thank you.